0: Chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3. Get all my do-hookies turned on. As we're journeying through 1 Peter, we're going to be looking at just two verses today in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 9. And Peter writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Having already prayed, I just want to get right into it. You know, this morning, as I said, we're going to continue our series in First Peter, chapter. First uh, Peter, and we've been examining over the last few weeks, the sub-theme within Peter of submission to authority, starting in 1 Peter 2, verse 13, where Peter has addressed how we are to conduct ourselves in relationship to government, how we are to conduct ourselves in relationship to our earthly masters in our employment, How our wives are to conduct themselves in relationship to their husbands and how husbands are to conduct themselves in relationship to their wives. And so now Peter finalizes this sub-theme, this segment that he has been addressing since chapter 2, and he addresses the final area in which we are to show proper Christian conduct. And it's within ourselves ourselves as a body of Christ, but also with others that we encounter as we sojourn through this life. You know, the title of my sermon this morning is Proper Christian Conduct That Blesses. As believers in Christ, we are called to do a great many things. We are to seek the kingdom of heaven and not the things of this world. We are to be in the world, but not of it. We are to renew our minds with the purity of God's Word. We are to be about our Father's business and not our own. And we are called to project and imitate our Lord Jesus Christ and be a witness for Him. And this includes our conduct within and outside of the church. Now, we are called to do this to bring honor to the Lord, glory to God, but also to live a life that is blessed in that we bless others and that we too receive blessings. For when we live in accordance with the precepts of God's Word and we're obedient to God's Word, blessings flow to us and to others." So this morning we're going to examine proper Christian conduct that blesses others and ourselves. And so Paul, Peter, Peter starts with verse 8, "...finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, and a humble mind." So let's take a look at each one of these attributes. First Peter begins by looking at the unity of mind. Unity of mind means to be like-minded, to have the same things as a priority, to be of the same mind, to be like-minded in the things of Jesus, and it's really in two levels that we're going to be talking about the unity of mind. We're going to be talking about the unity of mind as it relates to doctrine, those teachings within the church that are consistent and have been taught from its inception, and also as it relates to affection, as it relates to the faith, or as to the doctrine, we know what the word of God says. And Paul writes it to Timothy, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. You might have heard this expression before, I've said it many times, you've heard it from Nigel as well when he was here as well, and you've heard it even before that that it was reported to have been said by Augustine that in the essentials, we are to have unity. In the non-essentials, we are to have liberty. And in all other things, we are to have love for one another. So what are the essentials? Let's take a look at them. The first one is, there is but one God who is infinitely perfect, existing eternally in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to spend too much time on these because these are sermons within themselves. We also believe in the foundation of who Christ is, that He was true God and true man. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He died upon the cross and rose again. And He now sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf, establishing His kingdom of righteousness. We also have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a power, unto itself. It's not a movement. He is a person, a divine person of the Trinity. We have the Bible, the Old and the New Testaments, inerrant, as originally given, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it's the complete revelation of His will and the salvation of men. Then there is man. We realize, we, we believe that man was once created in the image, is created in the image and likeness of God But due to sin has fallen and is in need of redemption. Which brings us to salvation. And that salvation is by grace alone, in faith alone, in Christ alone. For salvation can be found nowhere else. And that we know that the church, the Catholic church, which means universal. Notice I didn't say Roman Catholic. I said Catholic church, which is universal. is made up of those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. You might have heard me refer to that as the big C. And then we have the return of Christ. The imminent return of Christ which we expect every day and to be prepared for. These are the foundational principles of our faith. These are the foundational principles that I have in common with my brother over at at Northland Harvest Church and Eric Burdick. The same ones that I have with with, uh, Pastor Bill at Calvary Chapel and many other denominations that gather together under the Minor Evangelical Ministry Association. We all have these things in common. They are foundational principles. They are non-negotiable. And they are taught by Jesus and Paul and Peter and others in the Word of God. And this is the doctrine that Paul is talking about. So then what are the non-essentials? The non-essentials are those elements that derive from the essentials but are more about practice and methodology. You know, I have brothers and sisters in Christ who don't believe what I believe. I'm kind of on the conservative bent when it comes to theology. And we don't always agree on the non-essentials. I was having a conversation with a brother in Christ this week and we were talking about tongues. And we don't agree on tongues, but we love each other. And we can worship together and we agree on these foundational principles. We don't always agree with the roles of women and men in church. You can go to various different churches within the Mana Evangelical Ministry Association, and you'll see various different roles that women and men have in those churches. But we hold to the foundational principles. We talk about cessation or a continuation of the gifts. Some believe in the continuation, some believe in the cessation. Again, differences of how we view things, but we're both all aligned foundationally. And so it's okay to have varying understanding of the non-essentials as long as we agree on the essentials. But it's when we become dogmatic on the non-essentials, where we elevate them to an essential, That's where we start to have disunity within the church. And it has caused several church splits. Christian Missionary Alliance has been part of several because of that. But as long as we hold to those foundational principles, the other stuff we can discuss and we can agree, we can have dinner over it and and still worship and, and be brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. We can't allow it to separate us. But this unity also means fellowship too. Romans 12, 16 says, Live in harmony with one another. And 2 Corinthians 13, says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration, comfort for one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Unity is essential in the body of Christ in order to maintain peace. Unity of mind and unity of fellowship as it shows the health of a church. You know, you can walk into a church, and I'm sure Tim could stand up and give, give testimonies because he preaches a lot in different churches. You can walk into a church and go, hmm, something's off here. There's not unity. You can sense it. You can feel it. You can see it. And unity is very fragile. It's not automatic. And this is why I preached unity. Early on, when I first came back out of the sabbatical, one of the first messages I preached is unity. In fact, if you look at your bulletin, it says, we want to know Christ and make him known by way of unity, maturity, and community. Because unity is that important. But like I said, it's fragile. It doesn't come natural. It takes effort. It takes work. It takes love for one another, it takes humility, and it takes a genuine care for each other. The next area of our conduct that blesses is sympathy towards one another. The word used here means to feel what others are going through, to literally feel what somebody is going through in their life. I was speaking to a brother in Christ and he asked me how my father was doing and I shared with him, but a few weeks ago, my dad had to be strapped down in a bed because he kept trying to pull his trach and other things. And I was just explaining that to him, and and I could sense the sympathy in his heart for my father. He could feel what my father was feeling. By sitting in a bed, just think of it, being in a bed for 30 minutes, just 30 minutes, not being able to move your arms to do anything or communicate anything. And I could tell, I could see it in him. And it was a genuine care. Well, that's what sympathy is. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. Here's Hebrews 13, 3, which is kind of interesting here. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them. That's sympathy. And unity can't exist without sympathy for one another. It simply can't. Now, some of you might say, I have a hard time with sympathy. I have a hard time with empathy, which is a related term. I can understand that. But here's how we become more sympathetic. Here's how we become more empathetic. The first is we need to pray to God to give us the love for others. Lord, show me how to love them as you love them. Give me the strength to love them. You know, one of the verses that's often quoted, and I think it's misquoted, is when Paul spoke to Timothy, he said, you did not get a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and a love and of a sound mind. When I started studying that scripture and I started to understand what the power of love was it was that God is going to give you the ability to love people that you normally can't. God empowers us to love others. And that's the start of how we are to be sympathetic with others. But also, and probably as important, in order to be sympathetic and also to be empathetic from a pure heart is you have to set aside yourself. You have to take yourself Move it off to the side and be focused on the interest of another. In fact, Paul wrote that in Philippians. He says, look out for other people's interests more than your own. And the third way is we open ourselves up. We open up our hearts. We open up ourselves to others. You know, we have, and we're going to have more of them, we're going to have fellowship dinners to help bind us together. And the purpose of those fellowship dinners is, yes, to eat and have cheesecake, but also for Josh to talk to Courtney, for Doris to talk to Kathy, for Raquel to talk to to Jody, and for Jason and Allie to talk to, to Adam and Kim is to get to know each other. The best way to be sympathetic and empathetic towards one another is to know each other. And brothers and sisters, if you don't know somebody in the church, get to know them. Call them. Want to have lunch? Love to hear what you do. We are a small church. Now, we're not, we're not a mega church, so that would be kind of difficult, and they'd try to do it with cell groups and all that other stuff, right? But we're a small church. We're a small family. There's no reason why that shouldn't happen. And when we do, because I've known that brother sitting back there in the wall. He's sleeping right now. Todd? Okay, thanks. He, I've known that man for many, many, many years. And because I'm guarded and he's guarded, slowly those walls came down as our friendship matured. And guess what? when his father was dying of cancer, and now my father is dying of cancer, I can feel that sympathy and that care. That comes from knowing each other, loving each other, opening ourselves up to each other to be close in fellowship. And that brings us to the next one, that's brotherly love. As with 1 Peter one twenty-two, this is a Philadelphia love. We covered that a few weeks ago. And what we learned from that is that we have been cleansed from all of our sins through our faith in Jesus Christ. We are now able to love from a pure heart with a pure motive. And it's one of the greatest evidence of unity in the church. But I must add this. Love is not defined by a sentiment only. It's defined by action we can say we love each other all day. But our actions, if, but if our actions are not unifying and sympathetic, then we're nothing more than what Paul describes as a noisy gong. We're just making noise. One cannot say they love one another and yet be, be unified. And not to be unified, excuse me, and not be sympathetic or not be compassionate with one another. At least they can't say it and mean it. True love works out in the heart. And it's the heart that provides the action for which we move. And if it just stops at a sentiment and it's not pure, with a pure motive, it's not coming from the heart. It's just something we think we should say. If anyone says... I love God and hates His brother, He is a liar, for he does not love His brother whom He has seen, cannot love God whom He has not seen." I hope I said that, right? Okay, go. Here's another verse. "By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Another thing that you can walk in those doors of that church and either see or not see. Because love is external. Yes, it resides in our heart, but it's expressed. It's expressed in marriages. It's expressed in friendships. It's expressed within the church between brothers and sisters in Christ. Another one is a tender heart. Now, this word that Peter uses here is related to compassion and sympathy, but instead of feeling. As with sympathy, it calls us to take action in sympathy, to take the next step, to do something about what you're feeling in your heart for that person. Scripture says, But if anyone has the, has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him... How does God's love abide in him? Darla has to temper me a lot in this area. And it's not because she doesn't want to give, but there's a difference between a tender heart and a sympathetic heart. A tender heart is one who is sympathetic and empathetic via wisdom. A sympathetic heart, or a soft heart, excuse me, a soft heart is one that just without any kind of hesitation. Now, some of you say, well, isn't that how we're supposed to give? Yes, but you have to be wise to know when you're enabling. And a tender heart is wise to know when it's enabling and when it's truly helping. You know, we were eating at a restaurant one day and it was cold outside. I mean, cold, colder than what we're experiencing out here. And we seen a man come in, and he didn't have much. He had a bag, stained coveralls, frost on his beard, just looked down. And he sat in the booth in the restaurant. And my eyes just couldn't come off of him, right? And I, I could tell by just the way he carried himself and how he was dressed and what he had with him, he may not have that much money. I also watched how the waitresses and the manager address him because when a manager comes to your table and talks to you something's he wasn't ordering food and so maybe something was telling me well something was telling me that maybe this man didn't have money he was just looking for a place that was warm and the manager kind of brought him a glass of water and i looked over at Darla and i said i i, I we got to do something we got to do something so i went over and i sat down with the man and i i gave him twenty dollars I said, I don't know you, you don't know me, but I just truly sense that you need what the Lord has blessed me with. And I want to bless you with it. And we talked for a few minutes and he was a man that was going to the oil field for work down on his luck and had nothing. And he just got a ride from a truck driver into the truck stop and he just needed a place to warm up and he was going to walk to Stanley. And it must have been 10 below. And I'm like, you know how far Stanley is, right? He says, just down the road. Oh, it's way down the road. And so he was looking for a ride. And the manager staff at that restaurant, I just was blessed by because they let him sit there. They gave him water. And then they brought him food. That's a tender heart. As believers in Christ, we have been given a new heart, one filled with love and compassion and pity, and we must be led by it as believers in caring for others and ministering to one another. But we have to be attentive as to where the Lord's leading us because sometimes we'll miss it. That's happened to me too. And so being tenderhearted and sympathetic in action and caring for one another and ministering to one another is what we are called to do. Finally, in verse 8, Peter says we are to have a humble mind. Your version may say courteous. To have a humble mind is to have a lowly mind of oneself, meaning you are not prideful of who you are, not arrogant as to what you are, and not haughty as to how you are. Nothing compromises unity in the church more than a prideful, arrogant, and haughty spirit. And the reason for this is it's incompatible with the faith in Christ. Listen to these strong words from God's Word. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. That's a pure hate. That's a godly hate, a righteous hate. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, He will not go unpunished. These are strong words from God's Word as it relates to pride, arrogance, and haughtiness. They shouldn't be a part of who we are. Now, there can be no unity when these exist, and here's why. Because pride always strikes out on an independent line. It's not about unity. It's not what it's about. That's not what it wants. There can be no sympathy because pride is steeped in selfishness. There can be no love as haughtiness or a haughty spirit loves itself at the cost of others. There's no tender heart because a desire is for itself and not others, speaking with pride. And there was no humility because pride, haughtiness is not of a lowly mind. It's of an elevated mind. It's of a superior mind. I like what D.L. Moody says. He quoted on humility. A man can counterfeit love. He can counterfeit faith. He can counterfeit hope and all other graces. But it's very difficult to counterfeit humility. Here's something the Lord gave me. True humility goes unnoticed as it does not draw attention to itself. Therefore, a test of humility is how one responds in being unnoticed. So within these verses, just verse 8, Peter provides us with a proper conduct that blesses, that is unifying, that is sympathetic, that is loving, that is tender, that is humble. Now in verse 9, Peter identifies that which we ought not to do and what our response should be in the face of it that brings about a blessing to others and to ourselves. So let's take a look at verse 9. And he says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. The first thing Peter says is prescriptive, meaning this is a commandment. And it is a commandment not to repay evil for evil. Evil here means to do an ill will toward somebody else. To do something wrong to somebody else with the intent to do wrong to somebody else. You know, we live in a world where we're going to face evil treatment. Outside and inside the church. Now, to think that evil exists within the church is, I think, to put a blind eye to it. It happens. It exists, unfortunately. And it's not that there are evil people in the church. Pray, God, I hope that's not the case. But we could be captivated, captivated by it, and respond in an evil way by treating somebody badly. And it could be subtle and justified. It's like stealing, right? No one in the church, again, pray God would do this, would embezzle money from their employer or steal an an item from a store and be a shoplifter. But it's okay to take a pen from the office that's not yours or some office supplies from the supply room. You see, what do we do? We place a human scale on the things that we do. Oh, that's egregious. Uh, That's okay. That's really, really bad. That, I think I was entitled to that. Now, in the church or outside the church, we would never, ever, as believers, want to hurt somebody physically. I pray we wouldn't. I pray we wouldn't. But we will treat somebody rudely, we will be harsh to them. We will say rude things to them. And there's all manner of reasons why that happens. And that's not to be in the church. That's not to be between believers. I've seen meetings go bad, I've seen governing board meetings go bad, I've seen interactions in church go bad. And it hurts. You can feel it. Because that's not the way it's supposed to be. But sometimes our emotions get the best of us. And that's why we need to focus on verses like this. To ensure that doesn't happen. And even in the world. Where the world says, you know, you got you to stand up for yourself on that one. You see, he just dissed you. Are you going to sit there and not answer to that? All the world's great cheerleaders. The world loves for you to be a cheerleader for you to do something evil. And there are times when you kind of feel like, yeah, yeah, you do have this coming. And well, I'm going to get you. You're going to get yours. I'm going to lay hands on you, but I'm not blessing you. Now, because we are new creatures, given a new heart and renewing of our mind with God's Precious word, we must also act anew. Act anew. When Christ came into my life, my trajectory changed as to how I act, how I thought, how I did, what was priorities, what was not priorities, as as depicted by the Word of God. In fact, listen to what Luke has to say. I'll read this to you very quickly. I know we're running out of time. Somebody in the church said, I didn't know you had time. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. How do you suppose they heard that when Jesus first spoke it? How do you think they received that? Hmm? How do you re- how did you receive it the first time you read that? Hmm? How are you receiving it now? Did you have a situation this week where? You didn't turn the other cheek? You found yourself returning evil for evil? I pray that doesn't, but when it does, praise God, we have a loving and caring and forgiving God. But remember, reconcile with ever whom you did that to because you have to salvage that witness. Read again what Peter wrote. Do not repay evil for evil. As children of the Most High God, we are called to holiness. We are called to righteousness and to abstain from everything that is evil. That means anything contrary and working against God. This theme of Peter in that we are to live holy lives as we sojourn through evil in a hostile world. That's why we're listening and reading and examining what Peter is saying. How do we do that? But additionally, we're not to rival or return insult for insult. Not only are we to watch our actions, but we are also to watch what we say in response to what is said to us. I was driving with my brother in Bismarck and somebody cut him off, and he really didn't cut him off. It was two seconds. Came out of his mouth, was not loving. But we do that, don't we, sometimes? In our little secure orquoise, right, where we live. Oh, it's good to point that, hey, hey! Right? And we say things that we don't mean. I was once told that when you respond to somebody in kind, that means they own you. They control your emotions. They know what they can do to trigger a response. And they love doing it. Don't be owned by somebody else. Don't respond in kind. Be meek. Be humble. Be loving. And you know, it takes spiritual discipline to hold one's tongue. You got a tongue that long? I think we all do. It takes strength to not chide back. You see, it's easy to throw it back. That's nothing. In fact, you'd be surprised how good you really are at that. It's like ping pong you're back. But guess what? It takes discipline not to say something. It takes strength of character not to throw it back, but to say something that is seasoned with the gospel, meaning we are to always speak in the manner of building people up, not tearing people down. In Ephesians 4.29, it says, let no corrupted talk come out of your mouth, but only as such is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. That's your seed. So then how are we to respond? We're to bless. We're to bless. I've got an interesting story for you. Here's two old guys. You might recognize them, at least one of them. One is Charles Spurgeon. The other is Joseph Parker. Now look at that guy on the left. I think he can rock that hairstyle today. But anyway, Charles Spurgeon and Joseph Parker had both churches in London in the 19th century. On one occasion, Parker commented on the poor condition of children admitted to Spurgeon's orphanage. It was reported to Spurgeon, however, that Parker had criticized the orphanage itself. Spurgeon blasted Parker in the next week from the pulpit. That surprised me. That attack was printed in the newspapers and became the talk of the town. People flocked to Parker's church the next Sunday to hear his rebuttal. He said, I understand that Dr. Spurgeon is not on his pulpit today. And this is the Sunday they use to take an offering for the orphanage. I suggest we take that love offering here instead. The crowd was delighted. The ushers had to empty the collection plates three times. Later that week, and all that money was sent to the orphanage. Later that week, a knock was made at Parker's study. It was Spurgeon. You know, Parker, you have practiced grace on me. You have given me not what I deserved, but a blessing. You see, we can all be captivated, even the great Spurgeon. But notice what Parker did in response. He blessed them. He didn't retaliate. He blessed them. And as a result, the children were blessed. And as a result, Joseph Parker was blessed. We have been called to bless others, just like Jesus blessed us. We are to bless others with right conduct. We are to bless others with good news of Jesus Christ by way of His word and witnessing the gospel. Our conduct and our speech is not to, to, is to bring a positive witness to Christ and glory to God. That's how we are to live. It's that simple. And when we do this, we will receive a blessing from the Lord. Now what is that blessing? Well, I'm going to talk about that blessing next week and what we receive when we follow what Peter is prescribing this morning. Brothers and sisters, we have been called to live a life of Christ that brings Him honor and glory to God the Father. We have all come from varying backgrounds. We have all come from various religions and experiences and called, but we have been called to live in unity and in love. Within these two verses we examined this morning, Peter outlines the proper conduct we are to have with each other within the church and outside of the church and that brings that brings honor and glory to God the Father. But it is also conduct that blesses others and blesses us in return. Allow me to repeat something I said earlier and often: actions speak louder at times than our words. Let us then act in unity. Let us be sympathetic to one another. Let us be loving to one another. Let us be tender-hearted, acting on the, benef- on, on, on the needs of others, and let us be humble with one another, not elevating ourselves, but understanding. Who we are in Christ. Because when we do, we will be an effective witness for Christ. We will effectively minister to one another. We will effectively have a unifying church and we will be a great witness in our community. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, that it challenges us. It challenged me when I was writing it. And so Father, I just pray, you have given us the prescription, Father, of proper Christian conduct that blesses and brings peace. And so Father, we just come before You now, after hearing Your Word, praying that this week we would meditate upon it and that we would live it, and that we would call upon You to empower us to do it. And we thank You for that, in Jesus' name, amen. As the first of the month, or the first Sunday of the month,